Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. The book of Haggai is my new friend. The book of Haggai is uh, it's a funny little book, right at the end of the Old Testament almost. I want to give you a little bit of the history of the book, so as we read it, you understand it a little better. The Jews had been um, taken out of their taken out of their country. They had been taken to Babylon, in fact, where they were there for um, many, many decades, and then they were released, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they returned to the land of Israel, Judah. And they began to uh, rebuild the temple which had been uh, fallen into um, decay. And it required a whole new foundation. It was like a real significant rebuild. It wasn't just mending a few windows. And they began and then after a while they got a bit complacent, truth be told, and they just left it. And then a decade or so later, maybe about 16 years later, the word of the Lord comes to Haggai, uh, who was probably a man in his 70s. And uh, this is his ministry to deliver this message to them, which is this, you stopped building, you should start building again. And that's essentially what this is about. And he speaks to the, if you like, the political leader, who's called Zerubbabel, and he speaks to the to the high priest as well uh, to encourage him, Joshua, to rebuild what had been broken. So here we are, Haggai chapter one. In the second year of King Darius, that's not their king; uh, they don't have a king. It's a bit like saying writing from Britain and saying in the time when Barack Obama was in power. It's not their, their, not their leader, but the world leader. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. He's the, he's the politician, if you like. And to Joshua son of Jehozadak, the high priest. He's the religious leader. Verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you to yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the temple, remains a ruin. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. That would have blown their theology, wouldn't it? Imagine them going to the high priest. The devil is attacking my finances. And the word of the Lord comes. No, it's not the devil. It's me. I'm attacking your finances because you're not, you're not putting things right. He says, what you brought home, I blew away. Huh. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore... Because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields, on the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine, the oil and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God And the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, They came and began work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day, etc. Now, come down to uh, um, chapter 2, verse 2. Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. It gets easier the more you read these. And to the remnant of the people, ask them, verse 3, who of you is left? who saw this house in its former glory. That's why we know Haggai was an old man, because he had seen it, you see. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Pick it up in verse 7. I will shake all nations. The desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. May the Lord Bless the reading of this word. Amen. 
I want to speak into something of the vision of our local church, something of where we are now in our journey as a church together. Uh, Many of you will know that we are getting nearer and nearer to a place where we will be able to transform this venue and uh, change it so that there's much more space. And uh, if you're not aware of all those plans, you can, of course, look them up any time. I don't want to rehash, if you like, talking about exactly what we're going to do, but the upper room project is another floor. The church will be upstairs, lots of rooms downstairs. Uh, The place will be utterly transformed. And uh, the reason why Haggai is my new friend is because I've just been encouraged by it lately. When you um, go through something in life, it's good to find a Bible character that went through the same problem that you're having. And Haggai lived in that day when there needed to be, he was good friends with Zechariah, I mean literally good friends with him, Uh, not, not even on Facebook, he really knew him. And they were good friends with Ezra. It all fits in that, into that time in history. But these people faced the same thing. They didn't have to turn a building into, uh, you know, community use, but they were constructing something they believed God had told them to do. And that's where we are now. And so, very quickly today, I want to talk about the Haggai contract. Divine, a kind of a divine master plan for a building project, if God were to have anything to say about a construction process, a building program, what it, what it would mean, then it will be found here in his word. And I think I found one or two principles that may help all of us as we, as we move through this. So, very, very quickly, first of all, the building uh, that they were dealing with was... The property of God. It was the property of God. And it was in need of uh, extensive renovation. They were, uh, Haggai talks as though it was rather sad to look at it. Who of you remembers what this looked like? Look at it now. It's awful. At one point, the word of the Lord comes and he says, This house lies in ruins. It lies in ruins. But throughout the process, you, you hear God's, God's possession of it. He speaks about my house or the Lord's house. Something that God felt that he owned. So the first thing is that it was the property of God. And when you look at verse 8 of chapter 1, you have this amazing thought. It's, he says, he go up into the mountains and bring down timber, and build the house, and God is speaking now, so that I may take pleasure in it, and be honored. That verse has spoken to me so much. What we have to do as we move forward with this project, and transform this venue, we have to construct something here, that God can take pleasure in, and that God can be honored by. Can you say amen? Something that would take the pleasure of God. Now God created heaven and earth, 
God created every beautiful thing that you've ever seen. And yet he still speaks to these people and he says to them, I want you to construct something that will honor me and that I will take pleasure in it. And as we move forward, of course, and I've gone on record a number of times to talk about this, of course, we have to construct something that is fit for purpose for the 21st century. We have to construct something that is attractive to this community in which we're in. We have to construct something which gives us credibility among those people that we're trying to reach. But deep down, at the very core of it all, we have to construct something which will be for God's honor and for God's pleasure. When this building is finished, we'll walk in here and it, we'll love it. Uh, it's, uh, wow, look, you know, look at this. And it'll be great that you're happy with it. And it would be great that I would be happy with it. But it's even more important that God would be happy with it. Can you say amen? For his pleasure and honor. It's an amazing verse um, in the word of God. So first of all that. Secondly, there was requirements placed upon the people of God in the story. So first of all, it was to do with the property of God, but then the people of God. First of all, and please keep your Bible open as we, as we look through these, they were called to be strong and to work. They were not called to watch. They were called to work. Chapter 2 and uh, Picking up in verse 4, the Lord says, Now be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, Joshua, speaking to the leaders and the leaders of this church and those who are assisting us. We need to be strong right now. But he says, be strong, all you people, as well. It wasn't just the executive committee that had to be strong and work, but all of the people. He says, I want you to be strong and work for I am with you. Back in chapter 1 and verse 14, we have the same thing again. He says, so the Lord stirred up the spirits of these people, the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, and as the verse finishes, verse 14, they came and began work on the house of the Lord their God. As we move forward, it's going to require work. I was chatting with somebody just this week, a man uh, um, called by God to, to serve God. And we were just having some time together and I was trying to mentor him a little bit and just pour myself into him a little bit, whatever I have. And I said to him, it's funny, I said, there's lots of people who want to be involved in the work of God. But there are quite a few people who want to be involved in the work of God who do not understand that it is the work of God. The work of God uh, it's not suddenly having a, a, a special word of prophecy for someone once in a blue moon. Uh, that's marvelous. The work of God is not the ability to pray for someone and see them recover, though these things are marvelous. The work of, the, of God is exactly what it sounds like on the tin. It sounds like work. Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight: always give yourselves fully to the work of of the Lord, because you know that your labor, that sounds hard as well, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
what we're about to do is going to require a team of us to be strong, to be courageous, and to work. And we'll talk more about that as we move forward. It's very interesting what happens in these, uh, in these, in these times. Maybe I'll come on to that in a minute. The second thing is, they needed to give of their resources. We read it. He says, what are you doing living in your nice house when the house of God is falling down? Now, I need to say something very, very immediately here. There is absolutely a difference between the temple of Jerusalem and a 21st century Christian church building. They're not the same sort of thing. There was only one temple. It was a special place that God had ordained. And so we're not, we're not exactly equating those two things. They're not the same thing. Theologically and practically, they are not the same thing. This is not a temple. This is the temple. Amen? This is the temple. These are not the stones, but these are the living stones that build the temple of God. So that's how God operates today. He puts his spirit inside his temple, which is you and I, those who are following after Christ. So while it's not the same, and I want to acknowledge that, yet there must be some principle here that says that God's house today, a building like this, should at least be the equivalent of your house at home. That if you wouldn't tolerate something in your own house, you shouldn't tolerate it in God's house. I don't know too many places, but of course there maybe are some, where somebody would just drop a, like a Mars bar wrapper on the carpet of their house and just leave it. I don't know of too many places where you might spill a drink in your front room and then just leave it for the magic fairies to come and clean it up. You wouldn't do that. You would make sure that it got done. And I want to encourage you, if there's something that you wouldn't... I remember many, many years ago being in another church. It's always good to talk about another church. (laughs) And uh, we had a, a team of ladies who used to clean the church every Monday morning. God bless them. But one day they came to me, they said, we'd like to register a complaint. Oh, what is it? We want to show you. And they took me to, there were pews in this particular place, you know, made of wood. And what people were doing, they were chewing gum during the service. And then they were removing the said gum. And were they putting it in a little wrapper and taking it home? No, they weren't. Were they sticking it to the uh, seats? Yes, they were. She said, you know what? We've got a whole load of people in this church who chew gum, take it out, and just stick it on the seats. And I thought to myself, do you, I wonder if these people do this at home. I wonder if they are like eating away and they, they're throwing food around the lounge. I don't think so. Maybe if they're bachelors. He says, what are you doing with your fancy house while the Lord's house is in pieces? That's why we have to work. We want this place to be beautiful. Beautiful. For the honor and the pleasure of God 
and so that we have some credibility in reaching the people of this generation. So that was the second thing. They needed to give of their resources. I want to encourage you, please give. Please think about it. This, is not, uh, this is not an appeal for money at all. But I'm just bringing you the word of God today. Please give. Many in this room, I know, have sacrificially given into this project. And I want to commend you and thank you. If you have not done it yet, or if you can do some more, please do so. They got their resources and they pulled together. And they did something for God. You notice that God did not provide the timber. They had to go and get the timber. God did not, did not provide all the bricks and the mortar in some miraculous happening. No, they had to go and get the bricks and the mortar and make it work. Number three here. They had to be strong and to work. They needed to give of their um, resource. They had to trust God and they had to trust their human leaders. Go back to chapter 1. And verse 12, it says, Zerubbabel, I think you know who he was the son of, and Joshua, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. For some people, this is, this is a problem. I think maybe even particularly in the British culture or maybe it's the European culture, I'm not sure, but this is a problem. God did not just call them to put their trust in him. God called the people to put their trust in Haggai as well. There's a moment in the life of Gideon where uh, someone, you know, they charge forward and a cry goes out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. In the next few months, in the next six months, the next 12 months, we're going to ask you to put your trust in where we're going. Because things may change, may be different, may be a little more problematic, and we'll talk all these things through as we go. But the burning question will be this. Do you believe, not in the infallibility of your leaders, because your leaders are more than, infalli uh, more than fallible. They're most fallible. But do you believe that God has spoken to us in moving us forward? If you believe that, you should follow us. It's amazing what happens not so much here, but I've heard of it in other places too. Where whenever the church faces a big project, do you know what happens? Let me, let me tell you. I'll tell you, but you mustn't tell anyone. What happens is this. The leader comes and says, okay, everybody, we're going to have to rough it for a bit. And it's not going to be as comfy as it's been, but it will be later, but it's not going to be so comfy. Do you know what happens? To a few people in the room, God speaks to them. 
And he says to them, I think you should go to a more comfy church. (laughs) Yes, no, you should. And so they, the Holy Spirit leads them. Oh, I, I'm, feeling, I'm, I'm feeling a bit led. I couldn't park, so I'm feeling led today to go somewhere where it's a bit more comfy. And then the whole load of people are left to do the work. And then when it's finished, when it's all finished and the carpet is laid, the Holy Spirit comes back to those people. He says, you know what? I want you to go back to where you were before. You watch that happen right here. I remember one time, a, a few colleagues and I, we, we planted a church in a big Methodist um, building, same place where we had the chewing gum on the pews. And there we all were, we're going to take this land for Jesus. And we all showed up, 50 of us, including kids. That's bigger than the average size church, but we started well. And what's the first thing that happened? We're all there taking the land for Jesus. Music was great. Great atmosphere. And then, bang, the heating blew up. And it was freezing. And we wanted to take the land for Jesus because we wanted to get out of that building as fast as we could. And someone said, we can hire a heater, it's all right. And they brought these heaters in. They were like giant cannons with fire coming out the end. And we tried to fool the people. I said, let's put one in the corner. So when they walk in, they go, oh, it's quite warm, really. (laughs) And they're sitting there. And do you know what happened? While it was cold or while it was a bit inconvenient, guess what happened? The Holy Spirit spoke to a few people and they, they thought, oh, I think we might go back to the mother church. The Lord is telling us. What Lord? The one in your head. <laughs> Can you say amen? The people had to be strong. They had to work and they had to stay with their leaders. And I want to encourage you to do the same in the journey we're about to take. Now, I know some of you are thinking this sounds exciting. I'm also a bit nervous this morning, Pete. But that's what they did. They had to trust God. And they had to trust that Haggai had heard from God. Listen, if an old guy walked in here today, 77 years old, and said, the Lord says, I want you to go up to the mountains and go and get some timber... I don't know, I'd want to know that really was God before I went up to any mountains. Anyway, I'd probably just call Travis Perkins. They had to, they had to trust God and their leaders. And here, here, here are the promises of God. First of all, his presence. Chapter 1, verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you. Sometimes that's the most important thing you can hear, isn't it? 
How many of you have been a Christian long enough to know that God does not give you all the answers to everything you ask him? How many have been a Christian long enough to know that God hardly gives you any answers to things you ask? Yeah, it's true. And as we move forward, I don't know all the answers. But I know this. I know that he is with us. And if he is with us, then we're going to get to the other side of the lake. I am with you. You can imagine the crowd of people crowding around this old, old prophet. What's the word then? Can you give us another word? Someone at the back going, my daughter's here. Is she going to pass her A-levels or not? (laughs) Yeah, prophet after all. But he gives him this word. I am with you. I am with you. I say it not because it's rabble-rousing or inspiring, although it is. I say it because it's truth. Ah, God is with us. And the journey may be a little bumpy, a little uncertain, but our God is with us. What was his second promise? His provision. Chapter 2 and verse 8. A great line of the Bible. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. Is there a conflict between our provision and God's provision? Not at all. We have been around the presence of God long enough to know that when we let go of what's in our hand, God lets go of what's in his hand. If we hold on to what we have, God holds on to what he has. Some believers, they hold on to their pound coin so tightly the queen gets tears in her eyes. One would like to come out. The word of the Lord comes to them. Your purses have holes in. And they'd just been up to some spiritual warfare conference to bind the demon of the holy wallets. And God says to them, the scissors are in my hands. I've been stipping your pussies. What you brought in, I blew away. Why? Lord, why are you taking from us? He said, because my house It's not your concern. It should be your concern. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything you need will be added to you as well. So God's promises were that he would be with them, that he would also provide for them. And finally today, his glory. Chapter 2. Verse 7, God is speaking and he says, I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. 
says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace. When all the construction is done, when all the offerings are taken, when all the contracts are signed, when all the stuff is done, the most important thing is not the ambient fireproof staircase, though that will be important in a fire. You know, don't you? You can have a a broken down old hut. And it can be filled with a glory. I don't think God wants us to have a broken down old hut. But I know what God does want us to have. He wants us to have the glory. This place must be filled with the glory of God. God says, I want you to build me something in which I can take delight and pleasure and will honor me. Let me finish. When you, when you become a, a pastor of a church, sometimes what happens is the old pastor wants to have a word with you. You know, tell you where the you know, fire bellies and things like that. So I asked him, where's the fire belly? He said, we haven't got one. But he'd come and, you know, talk to me. Tell me about the good old days. He's in his 80s now. I once told him I was naughty. I shouldn't have done this. But I once told him, Oh, I said, yeah, the service is run by two computers. He looked at me like, oh dear. <laughs> but he said, there's something I want to tell you. I want to tell you about the prophecy. So, I'm, I'm up for a prophecy said it was the prophecy of the house years and years ago. Uh, by the way, I'm not breathless. He talks like this. <laughs> he said, there's a word that was spoken and we've been praying about it for years and we never saw it happen. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So I want to declare it today. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.